So if you have your Bibles, please open to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Um, this, um, since I've been your pastor now, um, I think this is my sixth time doing this, if I remember correctly. Um, but once a year, um, we do what is called stewardship emphasis. And it always falls on, I've done it, I've designed it where it falls on Harvest Sunday, the day we take our harvest offering. And it's also the day that we vote on our next year's budget. So once a year, we focus on stewardship. Now in those six years, you might go, well, this is the Sunday, this is the Sunday Pastor Jacob talks about money. You'd be wrong. In six years, I've talked about money one time. Every year, I've talked about stewarding what God has given us, whatever it may be, whether it's our time, our talents, our treasures, whether it's our bodies, whether it's our, um, whether it's uh, whatever it might be, um, we've talked about stewarding all kinds of things. And today, um, I'm going to be talking about stewarding our witness. Now, here is the definition I've used for stewardship. I think this is the biblical definition of stewardship so that you don't just limit it to money because it's not simply about money. It's about everything. What's stewardship about? Everything. What's stewardship about? Everything. Okay? Here it is. All right? This is what stewardship means. It should be on the screens, I hope. It means utilizing and managing all of God's resources for His glory and the benefit of creation. That's what it means. Utilizing and managing all of God's provided resources for His glory and the benefit of creation. That's what Psalm, 21, Psalm 24 says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So as stewards, we are called to utilize and manage our time, our talents, that means our gifts and our skills, and our treasures, our money and possessions, our minds, our souls, our emotions, our tongues. Some of us need to hear that maybe about the way we use social media. We have to steward our tongues, our words, what we say and what we don't say, our bodies and our health, our relationships, our jobs, our recreation, our marriages, our ministries, our families, our fun, civilization and creation, all of creation, our country, our government. We are stewards of all of these things. Now, there is always a distinction as believers that we have to know and understand. And it is this distinction. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. Do you see the difference? Owners have rights. If you own something, you have rights. But if you're a steward, you have a responsibility. And as believers, we have responsibilities before the Lord. In C.S. Lewis's famous book, Mere Christianity, he says this, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment, is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to God's service, you could not give Him anything that was not, in a sense, His already. You're a steward. God owns all things. And I'll remind you that Jesus himself is our example of stewardship. 
We see Jesus in his life demonstrating, a, demonstrating his absolute commitment to the two great commandments of Scripture. He loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He also stewarded all of his faculties towards that great end. And the second great commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus did this as well. He used all that he had for the good of others, especially in regards to their eternal well-being. Now, that particular item is what I'm going to focus on this morning. So this morning, we're going to discuss stewarding our witness for Jesus, stewarding our calling to share the gospel because, hear me, you should deeply care about loving and obeying Jesus. You should care deeply about that. And you should care deeply about the eternal well-being of others. That's what you should do. You should care about the eternal well-being of those around you. So turn in your Bibles again, Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking there, particularly at verse, verse 8 and following. But as you turn there, you need to note... As you turn here, these are the last recorded words of Jesus while he's on earth before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He is about to outline the very mission of the church that should still be resounding in our ears some 2,000 years later. In fact, Acts 1-8 actually serves as the outline for the entire book of Acts. As we read it, you will understand that. So here we go, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Says so when they had come together, that's Jesus and the, the the resurrected Jesus and the disciples. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or season that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, and as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him Go into heaven. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Now, here's my main goal this morning. I hope that it's not a long sermon. <laughs> it's a joke. But here it is. I want you to know and understand this morning as stewards that Jesus has called you to be a witness of the gospel. That's what Jesus has called you to. To give personal testimony to the resurrection and the life-changing power of Jesus. I want you to know that you have been called to steward your witness and to live in such a way that gives evidence to the truthfulness of your testimony if you are in Christ. So here we go. Here's my, here's my outline. Here are my points. Number one, first, Jesus has given you power to be a witness. Jesus has given you power to be a witness. Look there in verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now here, Jesus is promising to give the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He's been telling them this 
all throughout his ministry that one day I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, who's going to do something. He's going to empower you for mission. Now, what's interesting is, in the Gospels, there is no reference to the Holy Spirit being on anyone but Jesus. The Holy Spirit was on Jesus throughout his ministry. Up to this point, the disciples had experienced the power of the Spirit through the presence of Jesus. So they knew the power of the Spirit by simply being in the physical presence of Jesus. But Jesus had told them that when he is taken away, he's going to give them the Holy Spirit who, who, was, who had been near them. But Jesus said there's going to be a difference. Now he's going to be in you. The Holy Spirit is going to be in you, and you are going to be empowered for ministry. Now, um, this is right before the ascension, as I said. Jesus is just taken up into heaven, and then in the very next chapter, he told them to wait. The Holy, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In the very next chapter, what we call Pentecost, Peter is going to stand up and preach to the multitudes and be a witness to the resurrection of Christ. And in, as he preaches, the Holy Spirit falls on those who hear the gospel, repent of their sins, and believe on Jesus. And that is still true today. That is still true today. When we hear the gospel, when we repent of our sins and believe on Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We are then indwelled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. If you are saved, you have been given the Spirit to empower you to live for Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to share the gospel of Jesus. All three of those things. You live for Jesus, you love others like Jesus, and you absolutely share the gospel of Jesus. Now hear me, it's not your power. It's not yours. You might go, I'm weak. Good. Good. Because the power doesn't come from you. It never was meant to. It comes from the Spirit. It is the Spirit's power that matters. The Spirit gives us power all throughout the New Testament to do all kinds of things, by the way, to endure hardships, to persevere in Christ. The Spirit empowers us to be bold. The, power, the Spirit empowers us to yield, gives us power to yield to our sinful desires and to yield to Him. But the Spirit also gives us power to be witnesses for Jesus. Jesus has given you His Spirit and this power. Now, what is interesting is that everybody, everybody wants to talk about being filled with the Spirit. You're like, man, I really wish I'd be filled with the Spirit. I really want to be filled with the Spirit. I really, I really want that. Pray, I'm telling you, pray for it. That's great. I want you to do that. Pray for that. Pray for that and seek that. But here's what's interesting in the book of Acts. When you go through the book of Acts, whenever it says someone is filled with the Spirit, whether that's Peter at Pentecost or whether that is Stephen right before he is stoned, or whether that is Paul, do you know what happens right after it says they're filled with the Spirit? They give witness of Jesus. So I would argue that you might not ever have been as filled with Jesus as the moment that you actually open your mouth to share Jesus. So if you want to say, I've been filled with the Spirit, it has to be connected to sharing Jesus. That's what we see all throughout the book of Acts. They are empowered and filled to pour, out, to pour out the gospel of grace onto others. The question is, listen, the question if you are a believer isn't whether you have this power by the Spirit. There's no question about it. The real question is, are you using it and stewarding it rightly? That's the only question that matters. 
The question is, well, I haven't been given that power. No, Jesus said so. He said it. The question isn't whether or not you have the power. The question is whether or not you use it. So Jesus has given you the power to be a witness. Second, Jesus has given you an identity as a witness. Notice what he says. You will be my witnesses. That's what Jesus says. This is who Jesus says you are as a disciple. It is personal. It is you. I'm going I'm to do what is uncouth right now. You, 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 you will be my witnesses. Not them or they or some other people. It is you. You don't get to cop out and say, well, it was those disciples. No, 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 no. You will be my witnesses. You. It is absolutely personal. You belong to Jesus. He is your Lord and Master. You are His witness. The word witness occurs no less than 39 times in the New Testament. 39 times. It is who we are. Christians are missionary people. That is what, if you come to Jesus, you are joining a missionary tribe. That is who we are. We are witnesses to Christ's power to his resurrection, and to his continued ministry in the world. You're like, well, but Jacob, I, th- I thought Jesus just was ascended. Now he's at the right hand of the Father. No. Christ is working today in the world by his Spirit through his people. In that sense, Jesus is as much present today as he was 2,000 years ago. By his Spirit among his people. So that's the point. You are to give testimony of Jesus' life, His love, His sacrifice, His forgiveness, His grace, and His mercy. And this is what you see all throughout Acts. Listen to this. Acts chapter 2. This is what Peter says. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. Paul, Peter, next chapter says, I'm a witness of that. And then Acts chapter 3, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. We've seen this. Acts 10, we are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Acts 22, at the end of the book, you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. That is who we are. Hear me, as a Christian... As a Christ follower, you need to know who you are. You need to know what Christ has called you to. He's called you to carry on His very mission in the world by sharing the gospel. You are a witness of Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Just think about that today. Every Christian is either a missionary, one who gives witness of Jesus, or an imposter. Think about that the rest of the day. So that is who we are. Number three, Jesus has given you the goal for witnessing. He's given us the target. He's giving us what to aim for. He says that you you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. He says, you, this is the target, this is the goal. Okay, now many of us have heard this verse a hundred times. And there, there's incredible familiarity with it. 
At least there should be among serious believers. Many of us have even memorized this. Many of us have seen graphics on Sunday school classrooms and in other literature, right? Where there's concentric, expanding concentric circles. Where here's Jerusalem. This is our local missions. And this is Judea. This is our, you know, our, our regional missions. And then this is Samaria. These are our, like, re, these are our, uh, our national ministries. And then to the ends of the earth. Well, that's international missions, right? We've seen all that. Now, I don't dislike the image. But the problem is that none of the disciples that heard that would have thought that way. That's not what they would have thought when they heard Jesus say this. Well, what would they have thought? Well, here's what they would have heard. When Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, they would have heard this. The place where the religious leaders just arrested, beat, held a sham trial and crucified Jesus. That place where we've been locked up for fear of being arrested and killed. The place where the highest hostility to Jesus exists. That, that's where you want us to be witnesses? Like, we take, going to the ends of the earth sounds pretty good compared to being killed right here alongside Jesus. We're going to share Jesus where it is absolutely the most hostile? The most hostile? That's what they would have heard. Or Judea, the place where we've been rejected over and over again as we've ministered in Jesus' name? The place where they drove us out? The place where Jesus couldn't do miracles because of their lack of faith? The place where we had to go shake the dust off of our feet as we walked through the towns? Judea? That's where you want us to go? What about Samaria? Are we going to go witness among the despised half-breeds? Those that, Jesus, that, those that the Jews won't even speak to? Those that we grew up thanking God that we didn't belong to? Thank you, God, that I'm not a half-breed Samaritan. Those that we were taught to despise from our earliest childhood? The place where we'll walk dozens of extra miles around to avoid Samaria? To the ends of the earth? Really? We're going to go out among the unclean, uncircumcised, heathen, pagan Gentiles? Among the Greeks and the Romans who are our oppressors? Who are killing us? Who put Jesus to death? Who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD? That's coming? Those people? That's where we're going? We're going to be witnesses there? Yeah. Jesus says you're going to witness, be a witness of his death and resurrection and love for the world. Not simply the Jewish world, but for the whole world. The whole world. We're going to share the gospel with our enemies. Among those that we hate. That's what Jesus says. So here's what this is. This is the goal. Hear me. This is the mission from Jesus. We must be witnesses anytime, any place, with any person. Anytime, any place, any person. We must always be ready to share Jesus with the youngest, to the oldest, to the poorest, to the richest, to the most immoral and debauched, to the most moral and upright, to those who love us the most, to those who hate us. We give testimony to the life-changing power of the gospel. Listen, all people equally need Jesus. Amen. There is no group out there where we go, they don't need Jesus. No, everybody equally needs Jesus. Listen, Jesus died for the world, so the gospel cannot be limited to anything less than the world. But those people hate us. You tell that to Jesus who died for them. Those people despise us. Well, tell that to Jesus who died for them. 
Jesus died for the world. So go, love them, and share Jesus. Ask God to make those enemies brothers and sisters in Christ. So Jesus has given us the goal. Fourth, Jesus has given you hope and urgency for witnessing. Look at verses 9 through 11. Jesus ascends. He goes up in the cloud. The, the, the guys are befuddled. They're staring there looking at Jesus. And then when they look down, apparently there's two angels there with them. And they say, you can't stay here. You're not going to build a monument here to Jesus' ascension. That's not what's about to happen. What you're about to do is go do what Jesus says because this same Jesus who went, he's coming again. He's going to come in the same way. That is hope and that is urgency. Jesus is, the, basically, here's the message. Jesus is coming, so get going. Jesus is coming, so you get going. Our king is returning, and we are his ambassadors to the world, filled with the presence of his spirit, to go with the message of eternal life. Listen. We don't like to think about this, but it is nonetheless true. Heaven and hell really hang in the balance. You can't read your New Testament and not think that. You can't follow Jesus and not think that. Heaven and hell really hang in the balance. Listen, we must have urgency because the good news is only good news if it gets to people in time. All of us have had that moment when we went to, walked up to a coffin at a funeral, and we go, I am not sure about this person's eternal destiny. And in that moment, what, what comes over us? There's a sense of guilt, right? It comes over us because we go, I had opportunities to share, and for some reason I didn't. And so my encouragement to you is to live without regrets, to make sure you at least know the, at least know the spiritual condition of the people you love the most. Do you not love them? Do you not care? Charles Spurgeon famously said, If sinners must be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, begging them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one person go unwarned or unprayed for. That's urgency. There's also hope. Now, as I conclude quickly, I want to give you some practical issues in stewarding our witness. If this is all true, right? If those four things are true that I just said, that Jesus has given you power to be a witness, he's given you identity as a witness, he's given you the goal and the mission and the target, and he's given you hope and urgency, well, here is some practical things. I hope these will be on the screen for you. You should write these down. If this is one of those areas in your life where you struggle, here is some practical help for you. First, love Jesus, trust Jesus, and obey Jesus on this issue. It's, it's, there's an issue with one of these three things. Either you don't love him, you don't trust him, or you're not willing to obey him. One of those three things has to be worked out. Don't believe the enemy's lies or the excuses that the enemy in your own flesh will tell you. Listen, I know the lies. I believe them. Here are some of the lies that Christians often believe. They go, it's someone else's job or I'm going to leave it to the professionals. I don't know if you know this, but professionals sometimes are terrible at things. I'm going to leave it to the professionals. No, it's your job. God put you there for such a time as this. Listen, let me tell you one of the most, one of the most horrifying stories 
that I've ever heard about this from one of my own students. I was a college pastor at one time, and we had sent, we had sent 15 to 20 college students uh, overseas for the summer. We had encouraged them to take, instead of spending a summer working, go, go to the Philippines for a summer, or go to Indonesia for the summer, or go to, go, go to Turkey for the summer, and be a missionary for the summer. It'll change your life, and boy, did it. But we had one of our young students who was serving in Indonesia, and part of his weekly routine was, I'm going to walk away from the pulpit, this is scary. Um, one of his weekly routines is he would go um, to the local mall, and he would go to the food court because he needed to eat, and he would look for other college students to sit among so he could practice his learning, practice whatever language they were speaking in Indonesia, I don't even know. So he could practice speaking, but he also wanted them to be able to speak English. A lot of them want to learn English, and he just wanted to have a conversation with them um, and hopefully share the gospel. And so he found um, this young group there, and he struck up a conversation with one of these young ladies. Um, there was a group of them, and this young lady said, she said, oh, I'm so glad to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. And so he started talking. They had a great conversation. He brought up Jesus. Um, he tried to share the gospel with her, and the, the incredible thing was this, this young lady came to Christ. It's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a miracle. It's, it's a crazy story, right? But that's not why the story's crazy. The story's crazy because she went on to say, I spent three years in the United States. I went to the United States as a foreign exchange student in college. I actually went to the middle of the Bible Belt. She lived in the South, went to a, went to a Christian college in the South, and she said, I came from this Muslim country to the United States so that somebody would tell me about this Jesus guy. And nobody did. Instead, God had to send one of our kids 10,000 miles away to share Jesus with her in a food court. It's somebody else's job. I'm just telling you, don't believe those lies. Don't believe those lies. There are people that want to hear the gospel just open your mouth. Share your story. You might say another lie, I don't have that gift. Well, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the gospel? You have everything you need. You have everything you need. Well, I might say something wrong. I might not, I'm not able to do it. I might say something wrong. I believe that lie. Well, listen, you need to settle it in your own mind, whether or not, two important words, you need to settle it in your mind today, whether or not you are able or willing to share Jesus. One of those has to give. It either, either, if you're not able, then you, then you need to figure it out. If you're not willing, then you need to take a good, hard look at your own heart. Okay? Do you not trust Jesus knows better than you? Are you going to look at Jesus and tell him you're not willing to obey him? That's the issue. Number two, practical issues. Number two, pray for opportunities to share Jesus. Pray for it. Listen, identify a lost family member or friend and pray regularly for them every morning. You can, you can even tell them, not nudge, nudge, wink, wink, I'm praying for you. Tell them you're praying for them. That brings spirituality into the conversation. All right? There's a saying that's always stuck with me on this, and it goes like this. We don't talk to our friends about Jesus because we don't talk to Jesus about our friends. I promise you, you pray for people every day for their salvation, you will think about ways to share God, the gospel with them. Number three, be ready to give an answer for the hope within you. Be ready. Make sure you know your personal testimony in order to give a witness. Know who you were before Christ, how you met Christ, how you heard the gospel, understood your need, how you repented and believed. 
and what Christ has meant to you since then. Forgiveness, peace, grace, love, hope. Write it out. Polish it. Two to three minutes. Be able to share your story. Even if you're not saying, don't beat people over the head with it, but say, listen, Jesus matters to me. He changed my life when I was 14. He matters to me. Share your testimony. Listen, this, this, by the way, becomes very difficult if you yourself do not know Jesus. You don't have a testimony if you don't know Jesus. So you need to think about it yourself. Number four. Number, number four. Do ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Evangelism isn't necessarily going knocking door to door, even though you can do that. Many times you should. But you should just do ordinary things, like build relationships with people you don't know. Invite people to church. Identify yourself as a Christian in normal conversation. That's something people don't do enough. Identify yourself as a believer in ordinary conversations. When somebody says, like, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I went to the football game. It was awesome, you know. Or I went hunting Sunday, uh, I went hunting Saturday. And then I went to worship Jesus with my church family on Sunday. You see how hard that was? To identify myself as a Christian? I went to the football game. That was great. I went hunting. And I went to worship with my church family on Sunday. Right? It was a great weekend. Use ordinary things as bridges. Go to the gym. Get a hobby. Go to ball games. Coach Little League. Join a gardening club. Take a co-worker to lunch. Invite a neighbor over for a burger and a football game. We can do that. It's your house. Do whatever you want. Just think like a missionary. Love people, right? It's not rocket science. Jesus simply met people, loved people, spoke to people, gave them an opportunity to know him and, and follow him. That's what Jesus did. You cannot spend all of your life with only Christians. Amen? Think like a missionary. Do ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And many of you know that I coach basketball. I love it. I do. I love being with little girls and coaching basketball, but I also talk to them about Jesus. <laughs> I'm a volunteer. Can't nobody stop me. If parents don't like it, they can take their kid to play somewhere else. But that's the point. I'm a pastor who's trying to be a missionary, doing something I love with an opportunity to talk to kids about Jesus. That's what we do. And then, finally, go with good news to share. Go with good news to share. Do you know that you have good news? My goodness, you have good news. Good news of love, grace, peace, forgiveness, joy, purpose, and life. Good news of why Jesus matters so deeply to you. Listen. Stick your feet out, everybody. I'm about to stomp your toe. If you are a whiner and a complainer about everything in life, it is pretty hard to think that you actually have any good news. Right? Jesus is good, but everything else sucks. That's not how this goes. Okay? Listen, I'm just telling you. I'm just trying to be uh, just your pastor being, being authentic here, okay? That's why I, shouldn't, I didn't write that down, okay? There's a reason I didn't write that down. All right? I should, I should stick to what I wrote down. You, 
Listen, if, you, if, that's, if, you're, if you're whining and complaining everything, you certainly wouldn't be living as though you believed the, go- the gospel, as you believed good news or had good news. Right along with this is the very basic and practical step of witnessing of don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. How do you expect anybody to think about Jesus if you're going to be a jerk about everything? Right? Don't, don't be a jerk, right? Don't do things that harm your witness. If you do, by the way, well, Jacob, what if I've ruined my witness with people? What do I do? Let me give you a great idea. Practice repentance. That's what you do. Practice repentance before them. Like, go to them and apologize for your wrongs and sins. Like, apologize. Like, be serious. Admit your behavior not only hurt them, but most importantly, it dishonored Jesus, whom you are seeking to serve. Like, just model repentance. That's the beauty of the good news. It's the news of grace for the undeserving. I'm undeserving. I need grace. You need grace. That's good. So that's as simple as I can say it. This is, this is it. Let me close here. This is as simple as I can say it. We are called as believers to prayerfully share the gospel with others over time. That's as simple as I can say it. Pray, share, be patient. Pray, share, be patient. Leave the results to God as you share don't think you have to lead somebody to Jesus in one conversation. Many just don't think that. It might take years. That's okay. It might take a decade. That's okay. All right? You can always say, what I'll often say to someone after I have a conversation, I'll just go, hey, can I talk to you about this again in the future? And just let it go. And then just move on with my life. And then maybe a couple months later, go, hey, have you thought more about that? You know, if you want to talk about it, I'd be happy to talk to you. I'm not pushy. I'm not a jerk. Let it go. But here are my questions as I close. Do you actually know Jesus? Have you believed the gospel? Have you repented of your sins and come to know Christ by faith? I hope that's a yes. Second, are you stewarding the mission of Christ personally in your life? Here's the other way to say it. Are you willing and able to witness for Christ and share the gospel? When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? I try to ask myself that often. Like, if it gets to be in weeks, there's a problem in my heart. Like, how, how, when is the last time I've shared the gospel with somebody? And I'll end with two quotes as you consider your calling as a witness and your stewardship. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary, says this, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but a command to be obeyed. That's what it is. And Al Mohler says it this way, The biggest obstacle to evangelism is, Oh, are you, are you wondering what it is? The biggest obstacle to evangelism is dot, 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 Christians who don't share the gospel. Well, I thought the biggest obstacle was people being hateful or bigoted or, uh, well, I thought it was all these crazy things. No, actually, the biggest hindrance is just opening your mouth and sharing Jesus. May the Lord help us to be better stewards in our community, in our lives, among our family, among our coworkers, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Father, bless your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be stewards of the gospel with which we've been entrusted. And, Father, we pray that we would look for opportunities, pray for opportunities, take opportunities. And, Father, be willing to be filled with your spirit and your power for the purpose of making Jesus known. And, Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.